This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Strategy Director here at 11FS. In this episode, we are discussing personalization in banking. Personalization was one of the key themes that emerged from this year's annual 11FS Pulse Report, which is out now at 11FS.com report. In the report, our experts, along with others from Monzo, JP Morgan and Nationwide, emphasise the importance of tailored financial services and how customer centricity will win the day in 2024. But this personalisation is only possible through real-time data, AI and machine learning, by harnessing behavioural data and many other recent technological advances which are transforming the financial services landscape. So we want to dive deeper into this. What does personalisation in banking even mean? How can it really improve the products or services that are being offered? And what are the consequences when it goes wrong? Personalisation is not just a marketing tool anymore. It's a critical component which has become a key part of the product lifecycle from design through to infrastructure via UX. In other words, it's super important. So to discuss this, I'm really excited to be joined by an almighty panel of industry experts. Firstly, very excited to welcome Joe Colchester, Head of Product here at Lone First Pulse. Great to have you here, Joe. Um, obviously, we hang out in real life, but what can you tell our listeners about, about yourself, the report you've been working on and, and where people can find it? Thanks, Kate. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, so we've been working on the report recently. Um, it's uh, coming out today um, and you can find it across the 11FS sites uh, and socials. And um, it's really a report looking back at 2023. So looking at the key trends that we've seen there um, across everyday banking, credit and savings, investing, business banking, um, and highlighting what, the, what those most interesting trends are. Um, and it's also about looking forward. So what those predictions are uh, for the year ahead. Um, and obviously one of those is personalization, which we're going to be touching on a lot today. Um, so it's it's leaning on those thousands of user journeys that we hold in Pulse and saying, wow, what's really interesting here? Uh, what, what are the standout things that we should be taking notice of? Awesome. Yeah, no, it's um, it's really, really cool. So definitely recommend checking it out and looking forward to getting your takes on it as we, as we go through the show today. Also joining us this week is Ross Logan, Chief Product Officer at Snoop. Welcome to the show, Ross. For those who don't know, tell us a bit more about yourself and, and what you do at Snoop, please. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like Kate said, I'm the Chief Product Officer and one of the founders at Snoop. Um, and we're an open banking powered product that helps customers engage with their money, um, regardless of, of who they bank with and find opportunities to save. In, in my role as product officer, or as product officer, I suppose, Unsurprisingly, I manage the evolution of the product. So looking at customer feedback, looking at our business performance versus our objectives, ideating to try and drive both of those things forward and deliver um, based on customer needs and business imperatives. I run the build team. Um, so actually turning those ideas into designs and then into the functioning tech in the app. And then we we kind of track the hell out of everything and start the cycle again. How, how are we doing against the objectives and are we going in the right direction? And that just feeds the, the start. 
I always say I think I'm the luckiest person in Snoop because I get to work with the broadest cross-section of the team on a daily basis uh, running the product and, and that's really cool. I'm really fortunate to do that. Yeah, no, I think product is such, an, uh, such a cool role, right? And you have such a ton of interesting perspectives about how these things connect together. So thanks for, for joining us and, and looking forward to getting your take as, as we run through. Um, another big welcome to Fintech Insider for Megan Cooper, Chief Product Officer at ClearBank. Obviously, always great to have you in the show, Megan. Thanks for joining us. For our listeners who somehow haven't come across you before, um, would you mind introducing yourself? Um, and I suppose, yeah, what you're focusing on at the moment, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the Group Chief Product Officer at ClearBank. ClearBank is um, previously referred to as an infrastructure bank in the UK. It's one of the first challenges we saw. We really came to market with a focus on improving the technology, improving the infrastructure behind banking and behind other financial institutions. Uh, so there I lead product strategy and work across product and engineering uh, in order to do that. Previously, uh, Chief Product Officer at Barclays and before that at Starling. So I've been in this uh, banking and challenger banking space uh, for a while. Really, really cool combo. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And as always, looking forward to getting your perspective. And finally, completing our roundup, also very delighted to welcome Alok Kumar, Product Manager at Chip. Welcome, Alok. And firstly, congratulations, Chip. You guys bagged an Anonymous Award recently. So no surprise that we're big fans. Um, again, please introduce any listeners who haven't come across Chip to, to Chip and, and also to yourself. Thank you, Kay. And yeah, thank you for having us. Um, yeah, so I work at Chip. Um, we are a digital wealth management app. We're looking to bridge the advice gap um, in the UK and offer savings and investments um, to the mass affluent um, customer in the UK um, and to making those products as accessible as we can. Um, I take care mostly of the cash side of things, looking at our cash products, um, understanding exactly what customers need out of their cash products um, and how we can build products that um, meet their needs. Um, but also looking kind of more strategically and holistically at how we tie all our products together um, in a really holistic um, journey as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you all for joining. Um, let's dive in. So I suppose first I want to understand a bit more about personalization and banking in the broad sense, you know, what it is, how it can work. So, I mean, Joe, I'll start with you. You, know, you identified personalization as a key trend for 2024 in this year's Pulse report. Um, why, do, why have you picked that out? Why do you think personalization is so important? And I suppose, what does it mean to you? So to me, it means uh, the tailoring of products, services and advice towards individuals. And that's off the back of increased data that we've got on those individuals. And I think it was it was pinpointed because we're just seeing more of it. We're seeing it more across banks and fintechs, but also it's it's something that um, we're actually seeing the real benefits from. It was a bit of a buzzword, but now we're starting to see those examples out there. So I think this this kind of one size fits all approach uh, for for products, especially when they have heaps of services within them, isn't really working anymore, and and users are expecting more. Ross, what's your definition of personalization in banking? What does it mean at Snoop? Yeah, I think it, building on what Joe said, I think it's about using technology and data and an understanding of people um, or of customers as people to develop products, services and experiences that meet their needs. And I think it's, I think what's really interesting, what we talk about a lot is it's weird that banks aren't more personalized because they've got access to a data set that ultimately is the thing that could drive the most personalization out of any industry, you could argue. If you look at someone's transaction list, we always used to do this uh, present giving analogy. If, if we never met before and I got a download of two months of your transactions, you'd probably be able to buy that person a pretty good gift because you'd know who they are, where they shop, what their interests are, what their hobbies are. Um, but it just doesn't happen. So uh, at Snoop, it's really about driving product development and experiences based on what we understand of our customers. And, and that's what we see as personalization. 
Yeah, I mean, Megan, I'd love to bring you in here. And see, obviously, given your your experiences, you've seen kind of right across that that range of financial services. I suppose would you would you accept Ross's point that maybe banking to date hasn't been as personalised as it could be? Like, what's held the industry back to now, and what do you think might change? Yeah, absolutely. I think the point is valid. The reality is is that banks have been sitting on this treasure trove of data for a long time. And the challenge is that just because you have data doesn't mean that it's accessible or it's clean and format in a way that you can apply machine learning to or you can gather insights from. And so I think for a period of time, there was the challenges of banks really being uh, intentional about structuring their data, utilizing the data, driving insights from that data to then drive personalization through the user experience, through the tailored customer offerings, uh, and through every other element that we're seeing. So I think uh, Joe even made a good point earlier of it was previously a buzzword. I think everyone really knew that we needed personalization in banking, but now I think we're at an inflection point where the technology, the momentum has really caught up to the ideal that we're wanting. We're actually starting to see it manifest in a way that consumers can actually uh, see in their apps and use today. Just to build on that, Megan, I think that's what we're so excited about with open banking, um, taking that data and being able to to put it into organizations with perhaps different objectives than a traditional bank. And and one thing we're passionate about, again, is, I mean, ultimately the data belongs to the customer, but it, it's not working hard to, to do anything for them. So if we can have more products and services based on open banking or whatever it is, like Snoop, that ultimately is trying to put people back in control of the data and try to generate outcomes you know, for them based on it, that that sounds like a, or it feels like a really positive thing. Yeah, I'll jump in there as well. I think, um, yeah, I completely agree with both um, what Ross and Megan have said. Um, and I think what we're finding um, when it comes to personalization is actually, um, you know, we need to know the customer better than they know themselves. And that's something that we, we repeat day in, day out at CHIP. And it's not just about the data. Um, you know, data is super, super important. And, you know, we're suddenly in an age where we can process that data and do so much more with that data. But it's about giving customers um, that element of control back and that that flexibility. And I think actually we've been seeing this for a long time in the industry. You know, um, some of the neobanks have been allowing customers to separate their funds and savings into different pots. And we've had robo-advice and we've had, um, you know, personalization seeping into kind of um, KYC and um, all the back office controls as well. And it's really kind of leveraging... Um, um, that element of flexibility and element of control to allow the customer to feel like um, they're building um, their wealth or for us building their wealth um, in a way that really kind of meets their own needs and is solving problems that are specific to them and not just a generic problem that, you know, maybe everyone faces. I think there's a really, I think all of this is, is absolutely true. I, I come across a really interesting challenge around the space of personalization between this understandable push to give, as you say, customers choice, to give customers the ability to configure, but also like where do you draw the line? Like, you know, if 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 personalization is good, does that mean like standardization is bad? Or like can you there's probably a risk that for some customers you can take personalization too far, right? And and actually customers need sort of guide rails to then kind of iterate an experience on on top of, I don't know, don't have a take on that. This is actually it, it, something that we we pointed out as a potential risk going forward as a, as a prediction. Someone might get it wrong this year, where they might overuse the data and uh, try and upsell perhaps in a way that's not very ethical or comes across as a bit jarring to the user. So I think at the root of it, it should always be about solving problems and helping the user. And that thing about knowing the problem more than the user does themselves, um, I think is, is really important. That kind of preemptive, hang on, you're, you're going to go, you're going to run out of money here, you're not going to be able to pay your bill here. Um, we can help with that is a much better place for the moment where it should be, I think. 
Yeah, I, com I completely agree. And, and as product people, I think one of the things that we, we should be really good at doing is understanding exactly what the customer problem is and solving for the customer problem. And I think, you know, changing color schemes is great or might make the customer feel closer towards the brand or, or whatever. But unless if that personalization isn't actually solving um, a customer problem, generally it can come across quite gimmicky or, um, you know, not giving customers that sense of control. I think in terms of that kind of standardization versus personalization piece, yes, customers are kind of begging for personalization. It's kind of coming as a baseline expectation now, but they're not looking for like that bespoke experience necessarily. We shouldn't be kind of shipping off flat pack furniture, but we're looking kind of that in between of made to measure. Um, and I think that that's what customers are responding really well to from, from our experience and research. Just to add to that, I think those are very valid points of the the kind of debate we see of like personalization can almost go too far and then where does standardization go? I think for banking in particular, personalization has been so needed but lacking that I think it'll, to me, it seems like it'll be a while before we get to too far so we can, we can kind of keep trudging in the direction we are now. But that being said, I recall when I started out working in financial technology in, in San Francisco back in 2012, uh, into it. One of our products was TurboTax. And I remember we would have these conversations around the level of financial information you end up having about customers when you have insight into their taxes and their accounting and their payroll. And there's almost a creepy line is what we would call it. Like how much do you let them know? Because part of taking data and personalizing is you can streamline customer journeys. But then to streamline it, if you kind of surface like the level of data that you have, it almost gets a bit off-putting. So there's this creepy line of like, how much do you use the personalization in a way that's helpful, that improves the product experience? Where's the line to your point, that prediction of where it almost goes too far and being really conscious that that actually does exist within the world of finance? I think customers are also becoming more aware of this themselves, right? You know, we see customers all the time querying why we use their transaction data and things like that. Um, and as customers become more knowledgeable about data and what what you know what can be done with data, they become more more sensitive and and more um, yeah more curious about what we're doing with the data and, and how we're using it. Um, and so I think kind of using it responsibly um, is really important. And as long as we're kind of understanding and empathizing with the customer and understanding kind of how would we feel if if we if our if our data was being used in that way, that's that's a really helpful kind of in, indicator of whether we are going too far. I think just as a final point, maybe on this is is around. Uh, I don't think it's so much personalization versus standardization. I think both can coexist quite nicely. Because the example I'd bring is like a mortgage broking service, uh, a historically P two P type industry. That that's a personalized service because what they're doing is taking an understanding of you and your needs, um, and they're connecting you with products that they think you might might want. So that is personalized in terms of the service you're getting, but the product you're going to engage with in the end is a standard product. It's a product that other people can get. So I, I don't I don't think it's quite as clear cut as personalization versus standardization. I think it's what level you're going to go to and how you can get the two things, I think exactly like Alec and Megan are saying, to work in harmony and not do it in a creepy way, but do it in a in a helpful way. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously you use the example of the mortgage broker, which obviously is you know, one of the traditional images in, in many people's head of like how banking used to be like this kind of like person to person relationship i guess the other thing that we often refer back to in the world of financial services is like the bank branch you know, like kind of that og of personalization where you know in the golden olden days you would you would walk into your branch and your your branch manager would know your name and know your kids and, and know everything about your life and that was kind of personalization of old and what have been again? I suppose Megan, given that you've sort of gone across the, the spectrum of different types of financial organisations, what, what have you seen have been the 
major challenges in trying to transition away from that model of personalization in branch banking into what we're seeing now in the digital space? Yeah, it's a great question. I think especially for larger banks that have such a spectrum of users and some who really want that in-person, tailored, bespoke, face-to-face experience. I think the reality is there's just a journey that we've been bringing customers on as we continually become more digital. I think the pandemic really helped to accelerate that shift to digital and being mobile first. I think once you get in there, the challenges that you see, though, are among people's different preferences, how you can use data and personalization. Like To give an example, onboarding. So to personalize onboarding, you can effectively take data and high-level user inputs to be able to know what questions to ask next to create a very tailored onboarding experience. Um, TurboTax, the example I use first, they do this really, really well. So tax filing in the U.S. is very painful, very lengthy, but some of these tax offers, what they do is they very intelligently ask high-level questions up front to solve for the long tail so they don't ask you every possible question. And that's very nice. But if you get into some user research, what you'll find is if that's overly done, it's almost too intelligent and too personalized, and they know exactly what information they can pull out. For financial products, you still have this challenge that people expect you to ask certain questions and to go through certain steps. And if you don't, it can make them lose confidence and fall out of the user experience just as fast as if you had a long user experience. So sometimes personalization also has to do with understanding that user, their needs, their confidence, their expectations, being able to tailor journeys to ask the right questions at the right time, as well as really understanding where they are in the product lifecycle and what products they want to be recommended to them and how and through what format. I think in, in some of the larger banks, they're doing a good job of trying to figure out how to blend, I think to your example, the, the branch experience with in-person, how you can use data and technology to support colleagues to enable that to do both. Um, but yeah, still very much an early part of that journey, I would say. Yeah, Joe, I suppose from what you guys see on Pulse, are there any kind of particular examples of the brands that are having to span this both physical and digital divide that you kind of think particularly stand out or are kind of making particularly strong like early moves? I think um, whether it's integrated into customer service, customer support, that's where it's almost like going back to the branch, but they replaced the the human um, with an AI. So it, it's almost like that it's it knows your transactional data, it knows some of your profile data. So it's that's where um, it's kind of doing full circle there. Um, so examples like Well Fargo's Fargo and uh, Erica, for example, both of those are, are good examples where it's it's actually returning back to some of the better parts of branch um, banking. Interesting. Um, and Ross, obviously, I'm, Snoop is entirely kind of orientated or certainly started being oriented around open banking. I'm, I'm intrigued to kind of get your take on sort of how you think this drive towards personalization might shape open banking kind of over over 2024 do you think we're going to see any kind of changes to you know how how data is being surfaced or the types of requests that providers such as Snoop like to make of it yeah i think i think what we've done traditionally and what the open banking uh, players have done is personalize the experience of engaging with your money and spending so that's the kind of first port call help me engage with my money in the context of my life like looking at a ledger of positive and negative transactions isn't that helpful so even looking at it not calendar month, but by my pay cycle is personalizing it, making it helpful, showing me a summary of my weekly spending, letting me view my money by categories and consolidated merchant views and a lot of the stuff that that we do in Snoop. I think the thing that's going to be really interesting in 2024 is 
who's going to take the first step in using that open banking data to personalize the kind of financial products that could sit below it. So for example, credit decisioning, and there's lots of people that, you know, you hear whispers of, of people making moves in that space, but no one's really come out um, to do it. And, and just to bring it to life in a snoop context, we have a, a bill protector feature where we tell you if we don't think you've got enough money in your account to cover your, your bills uh, in, a, in a pay cycle. Uh, and what I think would be amazing is if we could use your open, if you were in a situation where you didn't have enough, we could use your open banking data to uh, perform a credit risk decision on you and then offer you a loan that's completely personalized to you to bridge that gap. And I think then that's when you're really going to start to see the power of not just giving me a read-only view of my money, but start making it work even harder. It's great that I understand it more. It's great I can uh, interact with it and digest it better, um, but actually start to affect the products that I might get uh, on, on the back of that. Yeah, no, I'd, I think that definitely would be something that would be awesome to see. Um, and I suppose, Megan, given your new role now, kind of at ClearBank, I suppose you're, as you say, in that sort of enabling layer of, of banking, like what are the key kind of shifts that you think are likely to happen in, in that space in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I think because ClearBank's role is really to provide a platform and technology that manifests through others, it's really how we support through them. I think we had some really interesting points earlier on data and technology, how we format it, how we help others to use it. I think there's also the element of AI and how that's really being transformative as well in terms of how we can apply AI and machine learning to data to drive insights. I think internally, of course, there's use cases around how we even use it from uh, you know, a customer support point of view, how we can do things better and faster, how we can help to uh, streamline and improve our partners' experiences, um, but it's really through the partners at ClearBank that those services manifest to end users. So it's a bit of a, a step removed, I think, from from the others uh, and most others in the space. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Alok, obviously, you said at the start of the show that you know you guys are, are focused on on the mass affluent. I suppose one of the uh, points that's often raised around personalization is it's quite hard to personalize when you are trying to serve like a really, really, really broad audience. So how does how key has it been for for Chip to kind of execute personalization for you to have that niche to be focusing on a slightly more targeted segment of the market? I think it is important. And I think um, it also isn't. So I think, you know, to some extent, niches exist kind of because they have to. Different cohorts of customers have different needs and different problems, like we've been saying. And so therefore, the solutions to their problems vary. So yes, in that respect, having that focus really allows us to build truly personalized solutions. Um, but as kind of organizations scale their capacity and things like that, I don't see any reason why why those capabilities can't also, also be scaled. Um, I think the real challenge is kind of allowing customers to um, find the products that, that are suitable for them. Um, so, you know, mass affluent customers um, in particular have this expectation of human level of service, um, but don't necessarily um, kind of can't justify to themselves the the expense of, of a relationship manager um, or something like that. So helping them find the service that works for them is actually, I think, the real challenge and that acquisition um, of customers. Um, and yeah, I, th I think that is a, a real challenge that we're, that we're facing in, in terms of um, getting customers in rather than, um, yeah. No, for sure. Um, and I suppose, Joe, what are, what are you seeing in the broader market in terms of people like going for niche audiences versus you know, trying to go for, for wider customer bases? Well, I think this is where personalization can really play a big part because if you take uh, Revolut, for example, it means so many different things to so many different people. For some people, it's an everyday banking app. For, for some people, it's purely FX. And I think where um, 
they've done a very good job at letting users customize it so they can strip down the homepage to what they want. But I think where we might be going is actually, you know, if you only use Revolut for FX, it turns into an FX app and that's the interface. Um, so I think it allows financial super apps and more ambitious uh, financial players to allow the product to tailor to their users' needs um, so it, the product can become niche rather than being niche from the outset. Okay. Well, on, I think that's a good a good point for us to pause. We've, we've touched the surface of like what personalization banking really means. And in a moment, I think it'd be great to dig deeper into sort of how that's executed, not just the opportunities it creates, but also some of the potential risks too, um, as we try and figure out if customers even need more personalization banking. And if so, is there a limit? So we'll be back after this quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights. Now that we have a better grasp of what we think personalization means, let's look a little bit more at how it really works and the impact this has on both the banks and the end user. Um, it cropped up a couple of times maybe in the first half, but obviously the buzzword of the last year has been AI. So I feel like probably if we're going to talk about the, the how of personalization, it might make sense to um, start us off there. So how can AI, or what do we think the potential is for AI to be harnessed to create this sort of more personalized experience for financial services that we've all been talking about? Who wants to go first? I'll take it. I'm happy to dive <laughs> in if you so, or give it over to anyone else if anyone's go for particular. it, Megan. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think when we look back at financial services over the past five, 10 years and the use of AI, it's predominantly been around wealth and robo-advisory, fraud and AML, transaction monitoring, payments, uh, chatbots and customer support. Those were the main first use cases. And while those had high utility, I think we're just now finally at a point where generative AI has made such strides in the past 12 to 18 months that this is manifesting in uh, something that I, people can actually use, that they can see in the palm of their hands in the apps that they use. And I think from... What I'm hoping we see within the the fintech and banking space is uh, things that like Ross was talking about, like personalization, but in terms of really understanding who customers are, understanding the products they have, being able to set a sort of autopilot for some financial products, like looking out across the market, seeing which utility providers you have, like automatically switching on your behalf whenever that makes sense, uh, switching investments, like if you have a particular term savings account to automatically switch to a higher yield account whenever that makes sense. I can imagine a product where um, AI could be super useful in terms of automating certain parts within guardrails that users set um, or automatically linking customers with the right product in the right time. Because I think right now AI and that trajectory it's on uh, is coming really well with open banking and PSU2 and the maturity of that space where now these fintechs have access to the data. It's not only within the banks. Customers kind of own their data in a new way. And now that AI and advances in technology that we've seen can really be combined, I think, in a powerful way. I think we're just right now at the point of that where over 2024, I think we'll see more of those use cases in terms of consumer-facing applications of AI really coming to life within fintech. Alok, do you share Megan's excitement or what's, what's your take on potential AI? Yeah, I really share the excitement. Um, I think like if you go to any of the big banks and look at their careers pages, they're all hiring for gen AI um, scientists. And that's a really good indicator that there's a lot of faith in it as a tool um, to deliver really serious banking products. Um, and I completely agree with Megan. I think like the power that gen AI and AI more broadly has is to solve 
customer financial problems before they even have they even know they have a problem um you know recommending more suitable products um you're recommending to to switch products when the timing is right um understanding kind of the context of the wider market and making sure that customers are getting the best outcomes possible I think the challenge that we face as providers is doing that within the realms of regulation, right? And I think the regulators um, need to catch up. Um, I think, you know, the technology is moving at such a pace, but the regulators just are not are not there yet. And they need to provide frameworks and controls to help us implement that technology in a really safe way for our customers. Yeah, I think um, we've got an example in the notes of um, Ally Lending in, in Detroit, you know, who... I've start, I started to apply some of that sort of automated lending that a couple of us touched on in the, the first half of the show, but have actually kind of found themselves facing a fairly substantial fine after it was discovered like the algorithm was inadvertently, I believe, like discriminating against um, non-white customers. So I, I guess, yeah, there's there's definitely a real need for us to work out how we like automate for efficiency whilst also remaining or attaining the kind of key principles that you know, are heavily regulated financial environment has has always kind of focused on and, and tried to maintain so um i mean ross some of the examples that um we've talked about sound to be kind of similar to what snoop has been trying to do for a while already right like some of these like personalized offers and helping you find things and and move things so i guess yeah what does what does ai does ai just mean more of the same for you guys but done more efficiently or does it open up completely new pathways I think it's a bit of both. I think it's doing things more efficiently, definitely. And and the part of our product where we use analysis to link um, customers with offers and insights they find interesting based on their spending, you could see that becoming more powerful by by utilizing AI more and more um, in organizations like Snoop. And the thing we're really excited about in the context of Snoop is around predictive analytics for customers. So I think Alok touched on it, spot problems before they become problems. So whether that's in six months time, I'm not going to be able to afford my bills. So as opposed to in six days time, that that makes it again, really powerful. Understand the impact of, you know, this BMPL thing I've just signed up to, maybe it's not going to be an impact for the next you know, 40 days, but maybe it will be in 70 days and, and just help people plan ahead a little bit more. Um, is what, what we're excited about. But I agree with Megan and Alok. I think it's really exciting. I think we're right at the start. Uh, and I think there's going to be some really cool stuff that, that comes soon. Jay, which fintechs are you most keeping your eye on in terms of like deploying AI, interestingly? Well, I think um, talking about spotting problems before they occur and, and um, the kind of financial planning, I think if you look at some people like Nav Planner from from, um, from DBS, um, and even I think American Express are very good at it as well. Um, you can really start putting in life goals, and really, uh, you, know, you could probably integrate with your calendar, and it starts to look way broader. It's not just what bills might you be missing, or um, you know you got a large lump payment coming up. It's really integrating into your actual life, um, and I think those. Um, those kind of things are where you get really good advice um, and it can preempt things way ahead of time. And I think that's where it's going to take things to the next level, really. Yeah, I, just to piggyback off that, I think like Megan will be thinking about the word embedded banking day in, day out. I think what AI is really going to let us do or maybe not just AI, maybe beyond that, but I think embedded banking and embedded finance can be so much more than what it means today and actually embedding it in people's lives and understanding kind of the wider context of the lives that people are living and their motivations, their behaviours, their actions, you know, thinking about their family, their friends, their um, hobbies and embedding kind of that personalization within their actual life rather than just within other products. And I think that is a really powerful thing that, that we've not really seen start to come to light yet. 
Yeah, just to add on to that, I think, yeah, you definitely <laughs> nailed it in terms of thinking about embedded banking on a daily, hourly, uh, minutely basis. <laughs> but um, I think it reminds me of a quote that I heard, oh God, probably a decade ago, but it was, people don't necessarily need banks, they just need banking. But the point was really getting at that, you know, we're used to this model where you go into a branch, but now it's not only digital, but it's at the point of need where you need it, wherever you are in your journey and your application. It's not necessarily all through the banking app. It's starting to be federated out into a number of different uh, points of contact. And I think from like the clear bank perspective, one thing that we think of is it's actually the infrastructure and the platform that's key to personalization. So in order to enable that throughout the rest of the community, it's that technology focus that's really important to enable customers to have that banking experience at the point of need uh, where they need it. Yeah, I, I think that Megan's just triggered something in, in my head. The other thing that, that we've spoken about a bit is this concept of people like me. So not just the execution of, of banking, but what should I even be doing? Like how can AI play a role in analyzing similar profiles and then suggesting where I should be? I, I don't know how much savings I'm supposed to have. I don't know if I should have a mortgage. You know, it's all complicated and it's all confusing. So how can it help me level set um, where I am today, uh, like Alex had set a goal where I want to be tomorrow, uh, and then figure out a path to get there based on real examples of people doing it, as opposed to, you know, us just saying, put 20 quid away a month and, you know, you'll have 240 at the end of the year, which is not particularly smart. I'm always amazed because I do a lot of interviews with customers as part of our sort of proposition design and, and the strategy work we do. But how often when I speak to somebody and they kind of explain kind of their financial systems and what they're doing, at the end, so many people just kind of, maybe not quite as well, but so many people just sort of say like, am I normal? Am I doing the right things? Like, am, am I making the right choices? And I think like financial services for so many people, unless you're kind of wealthy enough to be able to afford a financial advisor, like financial services has been a quite a lonely space. Um, and people kind of really desperate, I, I can really agree with that. So it really resonated with me, like this idea that people are kind of looking for sort of a customized personal experience, but they also want to understand within that, like, are they are they kind of on track and are they making the right choices? Yeah, um, I just think I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that because we we've been finding the same as well. And like, you know, if we A B test something or we we do something in kind of moderated testing or whatever, um, if we put if we kind of say you know a financial advisor recommends this versus people like you do this, the response is completely different. You know, people want to be be like them their peers um, and I don't know whether there's an element of competition or kind of empathy or whatever but customers react so much better um, to knowing that they're not alone and that their peers and the, the people that are similar to them also do do the same thing and I, I wonder if maybe you know in, in the next few years we'll see personalization and AI kind of having more of a steer towards that and um, kind of more, more kind of peer um, analysis and, and things like that um, I'd, yeah I'd be really interested to hear you got what you guys think about that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a huge element of people wanting to know from a comparison perspective. I mean, there's the element of like, am I paying more for various services than the people who live in a, a similar postcode? Um, am I saving as much as other people my age? Is my pension kind of like right size? And I think there's another layer to that, not just of comparison, how that can help people understand kind of ballpark what people are doing, but also extrapolations. So saying like, if I start investing today when I'm 25, what does my retirement look like versus if I start investing when I'm 30 or 35? And being able to help show people the power of starting to invest and the different ways that they can invest and what the outcomes look like, that kind of modeling that's not accessible in a very easy user format currently. But I think there's definitely a hunger for both of those input, uh, inputs, as Alec was saying. 
Yeah. Um, I guess we've all spoken about it very positively about like the potential of AI and like the things we want to see happen. Um, it'd be cool to kind of maybe be slightly, I don't want to say pessimistic, right? But I, I suppose to try and be a bit more open about what we think some of the challenges are and um, what are the things that are most likely to hold back some of the progress that we've we've talked about. Um, Jay, what do you reckon? What you know, if if you were going to put your your Debbie Downer hat on um, and think about like what might stop 2024 being the year of, of great personalization success? What do you think are going to hold organizations back? Well, I think it's such a, a dangerous space because it's it's uh, data and personalization where in in our most personal um, realm, which is where we spend our money, specifically where and and how much. And um, I think that that leaves a lot of room for error. So you could get advertisements that you really shouldn't be getting, and it could very easily accelerate there. Uh, Tinkoff, um, uh, a, a fintech in, in Russia, actually will will advertise based on on your transactional data, and that's probably signed off for onboarding, but a lot of people here would probably react very badly to that. Um, and that taken to the extreme could go very wrong. Um, so I think it's it's um, an area where people have to be particularly sensitive to. And I think, yeah, that that uh, monetizing users in the wrong way like that and their data and, and using personalization purely to not solve a problem, but just shift products is a key area. I can see it going wrong. Yeah, I agree, especially kind of with some of the more consumer duty regulation that's been coming out recently, we've got to be really thoughtful about how we promote or cross-sell or upsell products to our customers. And, you know, right now we have very strict rules in place to determine whether a product is suitable for a customer or not. And with AI being kind of that le less deterministic, I guess, um, my, my key concern around using it in, in some of our products is it getting it wrong, it making mistakes and upselling or cross-selling products that just aren't suitable for a user and then that having, um, you know, very real implications for for individuals out there and and um, also kind of the regulatory fines and breaches that, that, that come with that. Yeah, I would add to that. I think it kind of circles back also to the notes earlier that we had around regulation just now catching up with the advances in AI. I think the reality is, is giving financial advice is highly regulated. The algorithmic advice uh, isn't necessarily regulated in the same way. And I think Gen AI is advancing at quite a fast pace. So I could see... Um, a potential outcome where it's just the regulation takes time to evolve with technology and there could be a mismatch and that could be a sort of negative outcome from it. Even though it is, it's it's high on the the list of things for the regulator to do and it's something they're actively working on, but it's just a process. Ross, what are you what are you losing my sleep over when it comes to <laughs> personalization? Um I think, yeah, like Megan and Alex said, I think it's great intentions, but potentially bad outcomes. And and it's just policing that. I mean, I'm no AI expert. I'm far far from it so i wouldn't probably delve too deep into it but it's just can we police it and can we release it in a controlled enough way that we can monitor the outputs to make sure they are what we intend them to be because um if if they're not it feels like something that can spiral quite quickly like i think joe mentioned yeah and one thing actually just to add on to that that you've just reminded me of ross is the studies that have shown that ai can also be biased um the data that you train it on, if it's, you know, it's just the internet, that's not inherently an equal place that represents the best of humanity always. And so having to be really careful on how we train the AI models that we use because bias um, and other kind of negative sentiments can even arise within uh, an artificial intelligence. So it's something I think just to be aware of and conscious of, but the industry I think is, is working on that element. 
hundred percent. I agree with that point, um, especially around financial literacy, because AI can be great if you know asking questions about um, how can I save and and what does this term really mean. But if it's got quite a narrow data set in terms of the people it's trained on, then you won't be getting the benefits from that. I think potentially another um, real risk for this year about AI is around what well, we're starting to see financial advice, and that's used well in AI and the, the um, generative AI from that. But it's, it's um, delving into investor advice, which is is only natural progression for it to go. But there's inevitably going to be some bad cases where some advice is given and um, things don't turn out well. And I think at the moment, um, it's not quite reached that level where it's it's guidance. It's more we can provide contextual information about the stock and live updates. And I think um, public are very, very good at this with their product alpha, but it's it's certainly a dangerous territory. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I promise we'll end on a positive note. But I suppose the other kind of criticism that maybe is levied at, at personalization is that it's it's just UX, right? Like it's just an interface. You know, we talked earlier about you. Know, it's just about like configuring the the color of your homepage or changing the color of your buttons. Um, I suppose, yeah. How much of a risk is it that you know we we all get very excited about personalization, but in reality, it, it's it's just a an aesthetic. You know, it's really not kind of cutting through. Do you think that's a risk, or have we moved beyond that? Do you think? Um, I think it goes back to some of the things that we were saying really early on about kind of problem solving and customer problem solving. And if there's not kind of a customer problem that you're solving at the heart of it, then yeah, realistically, it could just be a gimmick or it could just be like a an interface thing. Um, but like UX stands for user experience, right? And and that experience starts from the moment that the user has any awareness for their need for a financial product. Um, and in many cases, it won't, it won't even end once they churn, it will be well beyond that. So I think for providers to win, like every interaction the customer has with the product needs to be well thought through um, and it needs to be consistent with everything that they see before and after. Um, and it needs to be lightning fast and it needs to be relevant to that user and to that user only. And this kind of stuff just isn't negotiable anymore. It's what users expect. But in terms of kind of overdoing it, if, if you're solving a customer problem, generally, I think um, you're pretty safe. Yeah, Ross, I mean, I guess this is something you guys probably have to be especially wary of right like lots of people just think like oh dashboards or whatever it is is you know but actually what you guys do is so much more than that right but i assume you have to be especially conscious of people just assuming that it's just a dashboard and there's not more personalization that's beneath it yeah and i think alec hit the nail on the head it's got to be outcome driven we've got to be trying to meet needs and make it easier the, the thing i think um and i'd be interested people agree we're starting from a pretty low bar um, you know, historically banking engagement, whether that be digital or not, it is not that informative. It's very difficult to digest and consume information um, presented in a traditional ledger form. There's some very basic things that we can do, um, and many of those things that we do in Snoop that just make it easier to consume this information. It, it, financial literacy, um, Joe touched upon a second ago, um, is low. It's low in all of us, or, or the majority of us, and, and we don't help ourselves um, by trying to engage via channels that, that don't make it easier. So how can we just do simple things from a UX UI point of view? You can call them personalization, you can call them whatever you want. Um, they just make it simpler. It just makes it easier. Money is um, complicated by, by definition. Spending is difficult and managing it all is really, really tough. So how can we just do things that help people just make that easier and a bit less intimidating? Yeah, absolutely. I would add to that. I think personalization is only an aesthetic if you're doing it wrong. I feel like actual personalization is about understanding each individual user and giving them the best set of product experiences, product recommendations, uh, that it's really tailored to them. I think at a high level, you can do it by segments. I think as an example of 
personalization done really, really well. Uh, back to TurboTax, because I think they just did excellent user experience. But they would have customers come in, they would have them represent different segments of the customers that they knew were in their target customer base. And they would hook them up to heart rate monitors, galvanic skin response, uh, that measures minute amount of of, uh, sweat that indicates stress levels. And they would have them use the tax product and they would figure out which areas were most stressful for them. Then they would dig in to understand why is it most stressful. It would even be down to things like the words that are used, colors of buttons, the images of people in the back how it is that they can word and reframe questions or change the ordering of certain parts of the product to reduce stress and optimize it. And so you can do that per segment of customer. And so that starts to become very personalized and intelligent. But then I think to that point, banks aren't setting the bar for personalization. It's fintechs, it's consumer techs, and it's that type of like personalization that people want. And then from down from that, I think it's really getting to a segment of one where kind of to the points that Alok made earlier around you want your uh, personalization to really be around uh, what do you need? What are you using? How is that comparing? If you were to take different actions, what do the outcomes look like then? But it's something tailored to you and not just uh, kind of general advice. So I think personalization can be the colors and the aesthetic, but I think we're at a point where it can be so much deeper than that to really improve financial services and help people uh, make their financial lives easier. I think finances are so stressful. I mean, it's one of the leading causes of divorce. It's There's all sorts of like negative, I mean, getting into those sad negative statistics, they're abundant out there. But I think it gives us a huge opportunity to look at how can we use technology and data and personalization to like make our kind of chink in the world to make it a better place. I think there's huge opportunity and some companies are really starting to to work on that. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um I think we could we could we could definitely talk about this all day, but we're coming towards the end of the show, sadly. Um, Joe, I suppose I want to give you the, the final word. I suppose when it comes to based on everything we've discussed today, you know, when you're sat down writing the Pulse Report in 2025, like what is the kind of one single thing that you'd love to have seen succeed in personalization in 2024? What experience do you really, really want to be able to kind of shout out when we're we're issuing the next one? So um, I think ideally we'd see a kind of fully-fledged, all-encompassing financial assistant um, that does away with the need for a kind of traditional interface entirely. And it knows um, everything about your transactions and and how to solve problems for you. I don't think we're going to see that in 2024. Um, But hopefully we see some progress towards that anyway. The challenge has been issued. Awesome. Well, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much to all of our guests for for joining us. Um, You've all been brilliant where can people find out more about you all um ross um well snoop.app um and the snoop app is available on the app and play stores and if you want to get in touch uh, on linkedin or ross at snoop.app i'd love to hear from you brilliant megan yeah so you can find me on twitter at, at megan kwood actually i still go by my main name on twitter so megan kwood cooper uh but yeah at megan kwood uh and then you can find out more about clearbank at clearbank.com awesome alloc yeah, also on LinkedIn, you can find me there. Or if you're interested in Chip, um, getchip.uk, um, Instagram um, and Twitter, um, or just go to the App Store and give us a go. Brilliant. And Jay, what about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you'd like to know more about Pulse, um, where we have thousands and thousands of user journeys, head over to pulse.11fs.com. 
absolutely i use it all the time and it is awesome um and as for me you can find me also on linkedin kate moody uh, or you can drop me an email kate at lundfest.com thank you so much for listening if you like what you've heard follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review it helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show as always if you want to join the conversation find us on social media just search for 11fs or fintech insider or email podcast at lundfest.com thank you very much goodbye Thank you.